Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! LeBron James at the buzzer. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? We dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is SBR's Top 10 Sports Business Stories of the Year. Powered by Postano. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports on a global scale. We're here with another edition of the Top 10 Sports Business Stories of the Year, the year 2014. Cannot even believe this is our 10th year doing this. Pretty crazy that it's gone by as quickly as it has. We've had our crack staff put together the stories. We've taken input from people on Twitter at SB Radio. And uh, we've got, I think, a pretty good list. And I will give this disclaimer that a few of the stories are like two or three stories wrapped up into one because <laughs> they're so big. I'm joined for our edition by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing great. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas, all that. Yeah. Happy Kwanzaa. Yeah. Covered all. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. It's great to be in studio with you and uh, talking uh, top 10 for 2014. Can't believe it. I know. The year's gone by and there have been so many stories. It was really hard to kind of narrow it down to 10, but I feel like we've got a good 10. Again, uh, we took Input from the listeners and from people on Twitter. By the way, very prestigious honor this past week at SB Radio. Our Twitter feed was named one of the top 100 sports business Twitter must-follows. So we picked up a bunch of new followers this week. That's a prestigious list. And even someone like Casey Wasserman from Wasserman Media Group is now following us on Twitter. So uh, we're moving up. Forbes still pulls it, you know? They do. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, thanks to our friend Maury Brown for including us on that list. It's great to be on that list. And we try and keep our audience engaged on Twitter. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com backslash sports business radio. You can go to our website, of course, at sportsbusinessradio.com. And you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Uh, Tune in and Stitcher apps as well. All right. When we come back, we will start the countdown. 10 all the way down to 1, the top 10 sports business stories of the year 2014, according to us here at Sports Business Radio. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Happy holidays. We'll be right back. This is Sophia Berger. Merry Christmas. Hi, it's Brian Berger. Here at Sports Business Radio, we are proud to work with our partners, Pastano. They make a sports-proven visual marketing platform that I've personally been amazed to see. Teams like the Dallas Cowboys, Boston Red Sox, LA Kings, and Cleveland Cavaliers all use Pastano to engage their fans. When sports teams and fans tell their stories together, amazing things can happen. Every fan has a story. Whether you want to put selfies on the Jumbotron, create a dynamic social media command center, or activate a hashtag campaign on your website, Pastano can design an amazing social experience true to your brand. Even better, using the Pastano platform can pay for itself through selling sponsorships. 
As an example, the Kings sell sponsor space to Toyota and other clients and run the ads using Pistano. Want to see what your team's social content could look like? Schedule a demo today. Go to pistano.com slash sports. If you're a fan of this podcast, you understand the real power of engaging your fans. And these guys get it. That is P-O-S-T-A-N-O dot com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. All right, Brian Berger and our executive producer, Brian Griggs, back with you. Counting down the top 10 sports business stories of 2014. Let's start with number 10. Alex Rodriguez suspended a Major League Baseball record 162 games after an arbitrator reduces the suspension from 211 games. The decision relieved the Yankees of about $24 million in savings from A-Rod's 2014 salary. But the team still owes him $61 million from 2015 to 2017. And, this little side note, in November, a Miami Herald report surfaced that A-Rod told DEA investigators back in January that he did, in fact, use performance-enhancing drugs. So everyone has always questioned that. A-Rod has denied, denied, denied. Obviously, there's been strong evidence that he used PEDs. And it seems that he told DEA investigators that he did. But look, Griggs, the moral of the story is, yes, he cost himself $24 million. But he still gets $61 million to come back to. Here's the guy who's going to be 40 years old. He's had hip replacement surgery. He's been out of the game for a year. Brian Cashman, the GM of the Yankees, has said he's a DH only. They've signed Chase Headley to play third base. And it's going to be interesting to see... A-Rod coming back to the Yankees. I'm sure if it was up to the Yankees, they'd probably just go, you know what? We'd like A-Rod to just go away, and I'm sure Major League Baseball would as well, but it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. No, I think he's sticking around. At least it seems like it right now, but and it's another one of those baseball stories where you just you feel bad for the game because we've heard too many of these stories with the drugs and Roger Clemens and things like that, and here's another one, another big star that controversy, you know, he's coming back. I'm interested to see how the fans accept him and react in New York and see how that goes because, I don't know, I mean, as a baseball fan myself, I kind of have a downplay on him. I, I'm not as pumped about him because I always loved watching him back in the Mariner days and back in those days, and it's like, eh, I just don't have it anymore for him. Well, and the thing is, it's not like this is 25-year-old A-Rod that's going right. to come back and hit 50 bombs for you and make <laughs> you forget about yeah. the suspension, right? This is a guy who, he, he's 40 years old, yeah. and he's probably not going to be very productive, uh, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. I'm sure Joe Girardi is going to be in the mix. We're going to talk at the end of the show about stories to watch for 2015. This is certainly going to be a story to watch for me. Again, you would think that the Yankees would love a buyout number on that $61 million, but I'm sure A-Rod and his representatives, especially since he lost $24 million, and he probably spent tens of millions of dollars on legal fees, he probably needs every penny of that $61 million, and he's not going to take a penny less if the Yankees offer to buy him out. Yeah, and a $24 million hit is a big hit, even for a guy like him. I mean, that's a big chunk. It is a big chunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you think, you know, in athletes' careers, you don't have that type of earning potential. Very few do once you're done, and you've got to maximize it while you can. So this is his last big contract, and again, he's got legal fees, so he's going to take every opportunity to make every penny of that $61 million. Our ninth biggest story of the year 
2014. We're going to stay in New York. We're going to stay with the Yankees. A legend retires. Derek Jeter, after 20 years in Major League Baseball, five championships, 14-time All-Star, 3,400-plus hits, really uh, the epitome of the Yankees for the last 20 years, calls it a day. And, you know, the thing that was amazing about this, Griggs, is September 26th, last game at Yankee Stadium, walk-off hit to win the game for the Yankees. It was a fairy tale ending for him. He finishes his career September 29th at Fenway Park. The dreaded Red Sox, you know, they gave him a hero send-off as well. Uh, just a, a class act all the way around, Derek Jeter. And here's a guy who I believe is going to have a big impact in retirement. And Griggs, we've already seen it. He started something called the Players' Tribune. And we've seen Russell Wilson and Blake Griffin and many other athletes, Tiger Woods, use that Players' Tribune as a platform to get their views and stories across. And it's been pretty well received so far, not so much by journalists who are uh, wanting the athletes to still come to them for to be the mouthpiece and to you know spread the news, but it's an interesting idea, and you know I look at Derek Jeter a lot like Michael Jordan, a guy who even in retirement has a household name, a recognizable name, is going to be able to command a lot of money for speaking engagements, still command a lot of money for endorsement deals, he's still got memorabilia that he can auction off, so he won't make as much as he did at his peak. He's not going to make $20, $25 million a year, probably. But who knows? He, he's still going to have a lot of earning potential. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I think he has a great potential to be an awesome mentor, too, because he's such a good guy and he's a class act. And, I mean, what a legacy he's left playing for all those years with the same team. And, uh, you know, just all the way around, a great, fun player to watch. Uh, and like you said, going out with the uh, win in the game, his last game at, at the, the home stadium, and that's crazy. I mean, so I, I you flipped the pages there from A Rod on that side of it to Jeter on this side of it, right? And uh, yeah, it, he has just a great story. I look forward to see what he's going to do out of uh, retirement. Now, I will say this about Jeter, and I'm a, a PR guy. I think his most amazing accomplishment is he played his entire career in New York. Right. I can't remember one scandal. One negative story. Sure, there were the whispers about, hey, he was out at the clubs and he had this model girlfriend and that model girlfriend. And, uh, you know, there were the stories about he gave them gift bags as parting <laughs> gifts and things like that. But overall, in a day and age where everyone's a citizen journalist, everyone has a phone with a camera on it. This guy kept his nose clean yeah. and did the Yankees proud, was always a great spokesperson, not only for them, but for baseball. So now I wonder, you know, I think Derek Jeter for a long time has been the face of baseball. Mm -hmm. If you say name one player in Major League Baseball, most people over the last 10 years would say Derek Jeter. Yeah. Now... Who assumes that mantle? That's going to be an interesting thing for Major League Baseball. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm literally sitting here you know, trying to think, who is that player? Is it Clayton Kershaw? Is it Mike Trout? Is it Bryce Harper? Uh, you know, young, up-and-coming players. Could be, but... Derek Jeter leaves some pretty big shoes to fill. Yeah, and I think baseball needs that. I think MLB needs a guy that can be that face and somebody that can be like Jeter that was just around 
around all the time. I mean, everybody you just saw him on everything, and you knew where he was, and he was always with the same team. I mean, it's it's a perfect scenario for Major League Baseball. I think it really helped them for 20 years having a guy like that do it. And you're right, who's going to be the next guy? Because I think, especially with sports and the controversies, they need that solid guy. Every league needs a solid guy or two that can carry the league and be the, the good guy of the league. So we'll see. Yeah, and he has the Turn 2 Foundation, and has raised a ton of money through that foundation. So he does it off of the field as right. well. Uh, doesn't get a ton of accolades for that outside of New York, but he should because he's used his platform to do good work. All right, our eighth biggest story of the year 2014, the Sochi Winter Olympics. Griggs, this was interesting. Let's go all the way back to uh, February when the Winter Olympics took place. And remember how Sochi was literally down to the final days of, oh my gosh, we got to finish hotels, we have to finish <laughs> facilities. There was a Twitter handle called Sochi Problems, <laughs> and any journalist that was in Sochi was like tweeting out pictures yep. of, here's my uh, hotel and the room isn't finished yep. yet, or I don't have a shower curtain, or I don't have a bed, or, you know, they were really scrambling. And now the thing that's crazy, Google Sochi now and pictures, they've literally uh, flown drones through there. It's a ghost town. So they spent tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, putting together these facilities in little old Sochi, and now it's a ghost town. It, it, it goes to show that you really do sell your soul to get the games, yeah. to put them on, and I don't know what the takeaway is. I mean, for big cities I like a Los Angeles or an Atlanta, you know, Chicago, London, I can see where... Uh, there's some infrastructures, whether they're freeways or buildings that can be used again for, for a city like Sochi. Wow. It, it, it really, uh, I don't, I don't get the investment. Yeah, I don't either. And like with Sochi too, it was, it wasn't just in one spot. They had their stuff spread out all over, all the, place, over the place, which a lot of times Olympics are like that because you can't fit it all in one city. But, but like you're saying, I mean, some of these, especially Winter Olympics are in these tiny little areas where once the two weeks are up, there's nothing to fund it. There's nothing to fill it. I mean, there's just they don't have the sports. People aren't over there skiing, you know, a hundred times every day, and and all this stuff to fill the uh, the arenas they build and the jumps and the ski things and the snowboarding things. Nobody does it over there. It's crazy. Now there were a lot of political concerns, a lot of security concerns, and Russia deserves credit. They pulled it off. No major hitches. Uh, it was the lowest rated closing ceremony ever on TV. NBC averaged 21.4 million viewers per night. That's down 12% from the 2010 Vancouver Winter Olympics. And keep in mind, NBC paid $4.4 billion, that's with a B, in 2011 for every Olympics through the 2020 Tokyo Summer Games. Uh, the Peacock and its networks aired a record 1,539 hours over its 18 days from Sochi, including 230 on the NBC Sports Network, 185 on the broadcaster, and 45 on MSNBC. So again, when you're paying that kind of money, Griggs, you're going to air this thing everywhere. Yeah. It got tons of mentions on Facebook. Uh, you know, I thought NBC did a good job. I think one of the reasons ratings were down, too, is it was not a time-friendly zone for the United States, whereas Vancouver was a time-friendly zone. So when you've got that big delay, you're going to lose some viewers. The other thing that we see with the Olympics a lot now when it's not in the same time zone is, you know, they package and repurpose things and they kind of bring us the best of the best, the most compelling moments 
but we can watch during the day live online, and that's something that's changed from even you know yeah. eight or ten years ago. Yeah, I think you're right too, and I think the key with people that view and, and watch it are everything's live now, and you can get it instantly, Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. Right. So I think when we watch the Olympics. And I know I'm guilty of this, too. I want it live. I want to see what's happening as the guy is crossing the finish line, not 12 hours after it's happened. When you're on Twitter, you already know. I mean, you can't go exactly. on Twitter for two weeks. Right. <laughs> you, you can't. what happens. You're exactly right. So yeah, you that, have to, like, hide. I think that kills the viewership a little bit just because, like you said, time zones are, are a big killer for the United States. But if you hear of a compelling story and you're at work and you didn't get a chance to watch it online live, you'll probably tune in. Yeah. And frankly... You know, it was the first time that my daughter and I sat and watched the Olympics, and mm-hmm. she liked the figure skating, she liked the skiing, uh, you know, curling was interesting, yeah. as yep. always. It's kind of like, what? what are they doing? I, I still, <laughs> you know, if anyone out there wants to hit me up at SB Radio and explain curling to me, <laughs> I find it wildly entertaining. I have no idea if someone said explain the five rules of curling. I wouldn't have a clue. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's interesting to watch for sure, but it's fun. I, I love the Winter Olympics, and like you said, with your daughter, and my son too. We love the snowboarding. We were, he was into it. Yeah, I just love him watching those guys do the. It's crazy what they do on snow. It's unbelievable. And they all have interesting stories. So sure. you know, NBC yeah. brings out those kind of human interest stories at night. All right, coming up next, we will continue our countdown of the top ten sports business stories of 2014. We'll start with number seven, and we'll count all the way down to number one. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Happy holidays from Sports Business Radio. More of our countdown of the top ten sports business stories of the year. Coming up next. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We are back, and we are counting down the top 10 sports business stories of 2014, according to our crack staff here at Sports Business Radio, and you, the listener. We took your input on Twitter, at SB Radio, and uh, we think we've compiled a good list. We are going to pick up with story number seven, the college football playoff makes its debut a lot of people think it's an upgrade over the BCS. Some people think it's still not enough. They want to see an eight-team playoff. Others say we should have a 16-team playoff. There was a 13-person committee that was appointed to be the people deciding who gets into the playoff. Archie Manning had to drop off, so we were left with a 12-person committee. And Griggs, as we speak, the Final Four, Alabama versus Ohio State and Oregon, versus Florida State. 
I think they did pretty well, all things considered. There are some people that would argue whether Florida State or Ohio State should be in there. Should TCU or Baylor be in there? Um, you know, I think you could say a lot of different things. But my argument would be, and this is what I've been saying on Twitter, is I think you have the four best college football teams of not only this year, but probably of the last five years. They also have programs where the fans will travel well. Because keep in mind, for the first time, you're going to have a scenario where Alabama plays Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl, Oregon plays Florida State in the Rose Bowl. Then those fans will have to travel to another game, the national championship game in Dallas. So usually you go to a bowl game, you know that's your one game. Now you're asking your fans, if you're one of these four teams, to potentially travel twice. I think each of these four teams has a fan base that will make that additional trek if they get to the championship game in Dallas. And that's a big consideration. The other is, this is a TV show, Griggs. Yep. And you've got four compelling you know, teams. You've got Saban versus Urban Meyer in the Sugar Bowl. You've got Jameis Winston versus Marcus Mariota in the Rose Bowl, the past two Heisman winners. You've got compelling storylines. I think the ratings for these two games are going to be through the roof. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point is the fans traveling. Because I, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. I think all four of those schools travel well. And, uh, you know, I think they'll fill those arenas definitely. And I think it will be high rated because it's the first year. It's something new. It's something fresh. you got two. You got four great teams playing. So I think all the games, are the, the two games are going to be great. And then the national championship game will be uh, pretty epic, I think. I want to see Alabama-Oregon. I yeah. think a lot of people have wanted to see that game in the last few years. Pretty much the consensus best offense in Oregon over the past few years versus the consensus best defense in Alabama over the last few years. I think that would be a great matchup. I'd love to see what Marcus Mariota, the Heisman Trophy winner, could do against Alabama's defense. So, you know, you look at someone like Mariota, he can really uh, either help himself or hurt himself a little bit over the next few weeks because a lot of people I've talked to think he's the number one pick in the draft, especially if a team like Tampa Bay gets the number one pick. They need a quarterback. If he's exceptional, he really cements himself as that number one pick. If he's not, maybe some doubt creeps in. Hey, Alabama's got a pro-style defense. He didn't perform well against them. You know, it's amazing how people find ways to rip these prospects apart between oh, yeah. the end of the season and the draft in April. Uh, we've had Marcus Mariota on this show. You can go to the interview section of our website at sportsbusinessradio.com. His model of a student athlete as you will find. A great player, but also a really classy kid and a really good kid. So uh, I hope he does well. And, uh, you know, I know here we're based in Oregon, so the peeps around here are pretty excited to be in the Final Four. Yeah, and I think uh, either way, whatever happens, he's going to be a great uh, person for the NFL just as a person. I think he'll be good. He can be a good uh, role model for the kids and the campaigns that they do with the Play 60 and all that kind of things. And, you know, I think uh, all around it's going to be good for him. But um, and just back to the beginning of the thing about the comparison to the BCS and the playoff committee i think they've done a great job for the first year of something new i think it's already obviously an upgrade from the bcs so and i think it's going to get better every year and who knows if they go up to eight teams or however they change it down the road uh they're moving in the right direction and i think it's compelling and it's fun well and i like the human element yeah you know computers are computers and stats are stats and i'm not saying they're not important but a team like ohio state they're on their third string quarterback yeah but they've played as well as anyone in college football the last month and a half of the season. And they've got momentum coming into this game. Urban Meyer, you know, pretty darn good coach. You put him up against anyone, 
in a matchup where you have a month or so to prepare, and that's what he's got against Nick Saban. It's an old SEC matchup from when Saban was at LSU and Meyer was at Florida. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. And Florida State, say what you want. I'm not a big fan. I think if they were in the SEC or if they were in the Pac-12 even, they probably would have a loss or two, but they don't. And Jameis Winston has never lost a game that he started at quarterback at Florida State. So you take that and you put them up against Oregon, that's going to be an interesting game as well. So two very fascinating matchups, matchups that you don't typically see of powerful football programs, and that gets me excited. That makes me want to watch, and I think the fans will tune in as well. All right, the sixth biggest sports business story of 2014, according to Sports Business Radio. The NBA signs a $24 billion media deal with ESPN and Turner. The deal will take effect starting with the 2016-2017 season and increases ESPN's TV, digital, highlights, data, audio, and international NBA rights. Games will continue to air on ESPN and TNT through the 2024-2025 season. This is Adam Silver, the new commissioner, making his mark. ABC will remain the exclusive network for the NBA Finals. And the deal, according to the New York Times, again, $24 billion. It breaks out to about $2.66 billion per year. And Griggs, as soon as this deal was announced, we started hearing all of the talk from the players about, hey, last time we negotiated the CBA, the owners cried poor. And they didn't have this kind of money coming in. Now you've got this money coming in. You're flush with money. This money can basically cover your team payroll. We want more money next time around. And a lot of people think in two years, the NBA players will opt out of the CBA, which they and the owners have the right to do. So that becomes another story to watch over the next year or two. Yeah, but... uh Props to Adam Silver. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, huge deal. I mean, for his first year in the in the seat, twenty four billion on TV, that's unbelievable. So uh, good for him and good for the NBA. I like it, uh, how present it is. It seems like it's all over the place. I think they're doing better at getting it out and marketing it. And obviously, their overseas stuff is is growing too. But um, you can find it anywhere. You can see it anywhere. And uh, I think they're doing a good job. It's a good move for Silver and the NBA for right now, at least. Well, and it's probably a good move for ESPN and TNT. Sure. And they had a, an exclusive negotiation window with the NBA to get a deal done before it would go to Fox Sports 1, and there were a lot of rumors that Fox Sports 1, the new network, wanted NBA, and they were going to be very aggressive. So ESPN and TNT, smart to never let it go to market, so mm-hmm. to speak, and to take advantage of that exclusive negotiating window to close a deal with the NBA. And, of course, the NBA is happy because they get a ton of cash and they don't have to go through the, well, let's see what this, you know, the two current networks that they have a great relationship yep. with that NBA fans have become accustomed to finding NBA games on stepped up to the plate and yep. paid a lot of money. And a great cast. Who doesn't love the NBA on TNT? Yeah, no, <laughs> it's great. You can't it's, beat it. It's really good. Yeah. Um, I think ESPN still needs to figure out their studio show. That's yep. been a lot of different uh, kind of... Uh, versions over the last few years. They certainly have not had nearly the success that TNT's had with Kenny, Charles, Shaq, and Ernie. But, you know, that's hard to replicate. I I would say there's not many sports studio shows uh, that have had that kind of chemistry. Our fifth biggest story of the year, 2014... 
Bud Selig retires. We knew he was going to retire. He announced that he'd be retiring this upcoming January. And the new commissioner that has been elected, no surprise to those in the baseball world, is Rob Manfred, who was Selig's right-hand man for a number of years. He was elected commissioner officially in August. Tim Brosnan, who was one of the final three, along with Tom Warner and Rob Manfred, has resigned as the head of Major League Baseball Advanced Media. That's going to be interesting because MLB Advanced Media has a number of different properties that they assist. They've really become a leader in the digital space. Brosnan has been a big part of that. So will they continue that success? Will they still have that same vision without Brosnan? That will be interesting to watch. But I'm very interested to see what Rob Manfred does as new commissioner. We talked a few minutes ago about Adam Silver and his mark on the NBA What's Rob Manfred's mark going to be on Major League Baseball? Is he going to be a C-League clone? Or is he going to be a guy who says, you know what, I'm coming in. I have my own vision for things. You know, there's been some talk about they're going to expand the playoffs and maybe add another team for each league to the mix with the playoffs. Will there be other things? We'll see. But frankly, I if you've listened to this show for the last 10 years, you know that Bud C-League is not my favorite guy. Yep. And... Not a big fan. I think he turned a blind eye to performance-enhancing drugs for many years in Mm -hmm. the sake of ringing the cash register. I think you know, the owners loved him, much like the NFL owners love Roger Goodell because he's the goose that lays the golden egg. And a lot of people wouldn't know this, but Bud Selig, for the last several years, has been the highest-paid commissioner in all of sports, more than Goodell, more than David Stern, more than Gary Bettman. And, you know, again, the owners... Uh, pretty happy with the money that's coming in, but I look at something like the World Series where the TV numbers have continued to decline. Yeah. How do you get those back to where they used to be? How do you bring younger viewers and a younger audience to your game? Because a lot of people would say that Major League Baseball has become uh, you know, your grandfather's sport, and yeah. how do you bring in that younger crowd? I think the Major League Baseball Fan Cave, where I've had the Sports PR Summit the last few years, and you have people tweeting, and you have players stopping by and you know playing music, and they have the MTV show. That's all great stuff that brings in a younger crowd. Will they continue to do that, or are they going to go away from that? I'll be interested to see what Rob Manford does. Yeah, I will too, and I think uh, I think he had a key point there about the younger crowd for baseball especially because I think it, it's tending to lean to the older thing with uh, C-League too, and I think new blood in there is going to be good. Any way around, hopefully Rob can do it because I think uh, it's going to help MLB get more fans, get the younger crowd going, and uh, just continue to build the franchise. And they got to get those ratings back up because uh, baseball the last couple of years has been that's been the downside of it is people just aren't watching it. Well, and if I'm Rob Banford, I don't make change just to make change, but no, I want to make yeah. my own mark. Mm-hmm. You know, I, again, Adam Silver, the most recent example of someone who's come in. I'm as big of a David Stern fan as anyone, uh, but. Adam Silver's come in, and he's made his mark already. He's done things his own way. I'm excited to see what Rob Manfred does. All right. When we come back, we will continue our countdown of the top sports business stories of the year 2014. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Happy holidays. We're counting down the top 10 sports business stories of the year. The show continues after this. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. 
Man, it doesn't show signs. Hello, my name is Sophia Berger. I want to tell you about the Pixie Project. The Pixie Project matches pets to the right people. The Pixie Project takes pride in finding matches for both people and animals. The Pixie Project also offers low-cost veterinary assistance. My family worked with the Pixie Project to adopt our lovable puppy, Scotty. He's a great addition to our family. So if you get a dog or cat, kitten or puppy, you should go to the Pixie Project. To learn more about the Pixie Project, visit them at www.pixieproject.org. This is Sports Business Radio. We are back and we are counting down the top 10 sports business stories of the year 2014. We are down to the top four. Let's start with number four. LeBron James makes big news again, bolting the Miami Heat for the Cleveland Cavaliers. He goes home. He pens an essay in Sports Illustrated with the help of Lee Jenkins, a terrific writer called Coming Home, and they released that on July 11th. I'll tell you, Griggs, not many things surprise me anymore. I was really surprised by this. Now, I've got a little bit of insider information because I'm friends with people in Miami. Um, I really thought that at the worst-case scenario, LeBron would sign a one-year deal. He'd go back to Miami and he'd see, all right, does this team with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh have one more run in them? They lost to the San Antonio Spurs. But, you know, you've got Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. You've ridden with them before. You know what Eric Spolster is as a coach. You know what Pat Riley and Mickey Arison are. You don't know what Cleveland is. You don't know David Blatt, who's never coached in the NBA. You left on very poor terms with Dan Gilbert, and you can say, hey, we've patched things up. Those two, tell you, there were some things said and done. Uh, I'm not 100% convinced that they have indeed patched things up. LeBron signs a two-year deal with an opt-out after one. Kevin Love is acquired by the Cavaliers, and he can opt out at the end of this year. So, you know, people in Cleveland were rejoicing in the streets as they should be, and, you know, they're talking about titles in Cleveland, but it's not that simple. You throw a bunch of guys together that look good on paper, and there's no guarantee that it's going to work. And the next game, the next big game that Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving play in will be their first big game. LeBron is battle-tested now. He's won championships. He can bring that pedigree to Cleveland, but it doesn't mean that it's going to happen in Cleveland. I was very surprised. Frankly, I thought the Miami Heat did everything that they could to show LeBron that they were a first-class organization, that they could win championships. And the fact that he left and went back to Cleveland was pretty surprising to me. Yeah, I, I agree with you, too. I think why not, like you said, give it another shot with Miami. When you've got that team built, you've got the coach, everything's meshing well, you're winning championships. So obviously... Something's clicking there, and then why give it up to go back to a place that you left on bad terms, uh, you know, to, to start it all over again? I mean, it's just going to hit you again. And like you said, now he's in a, a team in Cleveland where they're starting something new. You got new players, you got a brand new coach, which that surprised me too. First year coach, never coached the NBA, and LeBron wants to go back to that. I mean, there's no history there. Unbelievable. That, I think that shocked me you, more than anything. You're going to put your, you know, LeBron has talked about, I'm about championships. I want to win championships at this point in my career. 
you're going to put your trust in David Blatt. No offense to David Blatt, but he's never coached a game in the NBA yeah. versus Eric Spolster, who's won titles. You know what he is. You know what Pat Riley is. You know what Mickey Arison, the owner of the Heat, is. And then you've got a guy who's never coached in the NBA, and you've got Dan Gilbert, your arch enemy, on the other side. Now, I understand the poll. People are going to go, Burger, he wanted to go home. Give him a break. <laughs> you know what? We had Brian Windhorst on this show from ESPN after this decision was made. And if you haven't listened to that, I invite you to go back to sportsbusinessradio.com or go to iTunes or Stitcher or tune in and pull up that show with Brian Windhorst. But Windhorst has followed LeBron since he was in eighth grade. I've been around LeBron a lot because I used to do some work with Nike in their high school basketball, uh, you know, their AAU and their, their summer camps and All-America camp and stuff like that. We both know what LeBron is. We're pretty familiar with what LeBron is. And, you know, what I said on that show with Brian Windhorst is there's reasons LeBron left Cleveland. Yes, he wanted to win championships. Yes, he wanted to go play with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. But he's got family. He's got other people that were weighing on him in Cleveland. Now he goes back into that. And I've said this before. Some people think I'm crazy. I will not be surprised if LeBron does not finish his career in Cleveland. You know, all this branding that's being done around LeBron, all of his Nike campaigns, all of his commercials, Sprite, everything is about coming home, coming home, coming home. People go, there's no way that he would ever leave Cleveland again. I wouldn't be so sure. And if anyone's going to pull something like that, it's going to be LeBron James. So um, I think it's another story. We've talked during this show about stories to watch in 2015. I'm going to be pretty interested to see how this season ends for the Cleveland Cavaliers. If it ends in any kind of discord, uh, you know, maybe LeBron says, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else where I think I can win a championship. And it was really interesting, Griggs, when we sat down at our recent Sports Business Radio road show with Baron Davis, he talked about this kind of friends versus old school type of NBA. You know, it used to be Magic and Bird and MJ. They wanted to rip each other's hearts out. They were competitors. Now, because of AAU and because guys have played with each other and they're playing so many games, when they get to the NBA, they're like, hey, I want to go play with my buddies again that I played AAU with. Guys jump around a lot. I think the days of seeing, you know, someone who plays with the same team their entire career, even Jordan didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Those days are, are probably over. It looks like Kobe's going to play his whole career with the Lakers, but would we be surprised at the trade deadline <laughs> in February if the Lakers unload Kobe and give him one last chance to win a ring with a contender? That would be pretty interesting to watch. But, you know, LeBron bolting Miami definitely altered the free agency landscape in the NBA. It had a domino effect on where Carmelo went and what several other free agents went. It looked like Chris Bosh could be leaving for Houston when LeBron didn't go. The Miami Heat gave him a max offer, which they weren't offering him max money before. Um, Dwayne Wade was affected. So a number of guys were affected, and I'm talking money-wise, by what LeBron did. And, you know, everyone can do what they want. I wouldn't have done what LeBron did. If I wanted to win championships, but hey, uh, you know, he's a big boy and we'll see. And look, 
He said it, and other people have said it. If he wins one championship in Cleveland, it will probably mean more to him than any championships added all together that he wins elsewhere because Cleveland has yearned for a championship. Ohio has yearned for a championship for so long, and he desperately wants to be that guy that brings an NBA championship to the city of Cleveland. So that is our fourth biggest story of the year 2014. Our third biggest story of the year 2014, World Cup soccer, Griggs. Argentina defeated by Germany in the final on July 13th. An estimated 26.5 million people in the U.S. watched Germany's extra time win. The Nielsen Company reported uh, the game had 17.3 million viewers on ABC, another 9.2 on Univision. This is just in the United States. In Germany, Griggs, 34.6 million people tuned in to watch. And then if you're talking social media, 3 billion interactions on Facebook during the World Cup, 672 million messages on Twitter during the World Cup. So social media was on fire with World Cup talk. And I'll tell you the most impressive thing of all, people talk about, oh, people in the United States, they don't get into soccer. The U.S. men's national team made a really nice run. And to see venues like Soldier Field, a huge venue, packed with fans having watch parties, watching the U.S. men's national team playing in Brazil, Holy cow, that really opened my eyes, and I was like, wow, I think soccer has turned the corner in this country. Yeah, it was so exciting. I was I was into it big time, and I actually have a friend in Germany that we were going back and forth the whole time through it. I mean, over there, they're closing businesses to watch right. those games. I yeah. mean, it's, it's epic over there in any place other than the United States. But like you're saying, Soldier Field, Kansas City, all these places where they've sold out these stadiums, it's awesome. I mean, it was so fun to watch it, and I think props to ESPN for promoing the he double hockey sticks out of it because I mean a year year and a half out they're running those those FIFA World right. Cup promos and I think that built built the momentum built the excitement and it was great I mean I was watching every game I could watch even the game teams I didn't care because it just was so fun seeing the the crowds I love listening to the announcers with the accents and you know there's so much history and stories behind all these teams it was fun really fun yeah and I I just thought you know uh, the fact that Brazil didn't get into the final it was devastating to the host nation but it was a really compelling final. And again, a lot of people tuned in and and watched. And I think, you know, World Cup soccer has clearly established itself as pretty much the leading global viewership sport. The Olympics, I know, is spread out over a few weeks. If it was just on one day, maybe it would compare. But World Cup soccer, if you look at that over a few weeks too, what an incredible property. I thought Brazil did a pretty nice job of Hosting the event, again, no major security problems. Looked like things went off pretty well. Some of the games were super, super hot. And, you know, they had a venue where the temperature was pretty normal, and then they had another venue where if you came from playing in that venue, your next (laughs) game, you didn't fare very well because you were really exhausted from the heat. Uh, So, you know, that played a factor. But all in all, I thought it was a really entertaining few weeks, and it was a lot of fun to watch. All right, our second biggest story of the year, 2014. And I have a company called Everything is on the Record. We talk about people being citizen journalists. Everyone has an iPhone or a mobile device. It's got recording devices. It's got cameras on it. Well, Donald Sterling, the owner of the L.A. Clippers, who has long been 
uh, suspected of being a racist, and some of that's in court documents. Well, V. Stiviano got him on tape. TMZ got the audio tape. And what we heard on that audio, Griggs, was repulsive. It was something that made your skin crawl. It insulted uh, an NBA legend, Magic Johnson. And uh, Donald Sterling was exposed for the extreme racist that he is. And the aftermath of that was handled brilliantly, in my opinion, by Adam Silver, the new commissioner of the NBA, and by the NBA's PR department. I thought the fact that Adam Silver came out and after he had gathered the facts, he had a press conference, and unlike Roger Goodell's press conference, he came out and he said, look, this is what we're doing. This will not be tolerated in our league effective immediately. Donald Sterling has been banned for life from the NBA. There was no, we're going to put a committee together, we're going to take a few months to figure this out, we're going to get our owners together. No, it was decisive action. I think the players really supported what Adam Silver did. And then after that, Griggs, and yes, there was you know lots of, uh, there were legal lawsuits, and is Sterling really going to be forced out? But the result was he was forced out. He sold. He made a ton of money, he and uh, Shelly Sterling, and they sold for a record $2 billion to Steve Ballmer, the former CEO of Microsoft. So, so many places where the NBA wins, first of all, they get rid of the worst owner in the league. Yep. Second of all, they get rid of a racist. Third of all, if you have a bunch of real estate and you just sold one of your pieces of real estate for $2 billion, that's going to bring all your other pieces of real estate, in this case, the other NBA teams, their values up. So now, with that $2 billion record price, that's a great visual for the NBA and for other potential owners who want to buy in, you're going to be paying a pretty penny to own an NBA franchise. So all the way around, I thought Adam Silver, in his first major test as NBA commissioner, came out really, really well. Oh, yeah. I think he nailed it perfectly. I thought his the press conference was good. Everything was good about it. I mean, I think just from the beginning of it, it was ran well, taken care of the right way, and dealt with quickly. You know, in in major sports, you know, as quickly as compared to some other things that take forever. I think uh, all the way around, it was it was good, and it's good to get him out. I think it's, it only helps the NBA, and like you said, the property value goes up for everybody. Right, and you know, look, there's a lot of legal maneuvers going on here. Donald Sterling is a guy who has spent his whole life litigating. He loves lawsuits, but at the end of the day, Shelley Sterling really took control of that team and of the sales process. She found someone who paid top dollar in Steve Ballmer at $2 billion. So you can't feel too badly for Donald Sterling. Mr. Racist gets to ride <laughs> off into the sunset with a billion dollars because Shelly gets the other billion. And, you know, he loses his team, but he walks away with a record NBA sales price. So even in punishment, quote-unquote, he's still coming out victorious monetarily. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he gets the money, but all in all, it's just good for the NBA. It's good to have people like him out of there because it's not going to help it in the long run. So I think it's uh, he gets money, he gets paid, but uh, it's good for the league and good for the fans and the players to have a guy like him out. Well, Sterling is a guy for so many years that ran that team at just, hey, let's just 
break even. I'll take my revenue sharing from the other teams. I'm not going to spend any money. Uh, and now with Steve Ballmer, he's going for it. He wants to win a championship. He'll pay uh, Blake Griffin and Chris Paul and all of the guys, Doc Rivers' top dollar. And by the way, Doc Rivers did an amazing job navigating through all of that, holding the team together, being the team spokesperson. They were very fortunate that he was their coach during that time. All right, coming up next, the number one story, the top story in sports business in the year 2014. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is SBR's Top 10 Sports Business Stories of the Year. More of the countdown next. The most famous reindeer of all. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Hi, it's Brian Berger. Here at Sports Business Radio, we are proud to work with our partners, Pastano. They make a sports-proven visual marketing platform that I've personally been amazed to see. Teams like the Dallas Cowboys, Boston Red Sox, LA Kings, and Cleveland Cavaliers all use Pastano to engage their fans. When sports teams and fans tell their stories together, amazing things can happen. Every fan has a story. Whether you want to put selfies on the Jumbotron, create a dynamic social media command center, or activate a hashtag campaign on your website, Pastano can design an amazing social experience true to your brand. Even better, using the Pastano platform can pay for itself through selling sponsorships. As an example, the Kings sell sponsor space to Toyota and other clients and run the ads using Pastano. Want to see what your team's social content could look like? Schedule a demo today. Go to pastano.com slash sports. If you're a fan of this podcast, you understand the real power of engaging your fans. And these guys get it. That is P-O-S-T-A-N-O dot com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We are back. Brian Berger and executive producer Brian Griggs counting down the top 10 sports business stories of 2014. We're ready to unveil the top story of the year. And Griggs, really a no-doubter here. One of the bigger stories in, I'd say, the last five years. And it's kind of one of those that you could say, I saw it coming. Maybe not to the degree, but the NFL is the biggest sports league in the United States. Most popular, brings in the most amount of money, record TV revenues, really dwarfs what any other league does. And it is the preeminent king. No one really comes close to the NFL in the United States. You've got young men who are playing a violent sport. They've got a ton of testosterone, and you know they're used to being gladiators on the field. It is hard to turn that off. It's hard to flip a switch. Thus, we see many cases of domestic violence. We saw some of these cases this year, but the difference between this year and years past, Griggs, is we actually saw the domestic violence. We saw the video. We saw the pictures. And it was chilling. And it put the NFL in a position like they'd never been put in before. The NFL has always, whatever they've done is turned to gold. Not the case this year. And when things really started falling apart for the league, Griggs was in September. So many people had seen the video of Ray Rice in an elevator with his then fiance Janae, and he was dragging her out of the elevator. And you could tell something had happened in a casino in Atlantic City. 
But what we saw later in September was elevator video of Ray Rice actually punching Janae and knocking her pretty much unconscious. And it was shocking. And again, rarely do we see the crimes take place on video or do we see the pictures of the crime. This was an instance where we saw this happen. And Ray Rice had already been penalized by the NFL. But after this happened, the NFL changed their stance and they suspended Ray Rice indefinitely. And it was a wave of negative publicity for the NFL like they have not seen in a long time. As if things weren't bad enough, Griggs, <laughs> then the Adrian Peterson case comes. And we see pictures of Adrian Peterson's child who had been you know, hit with a switch, basically, and what that did to the child. And those pictures were shocking, and people were outraged. And there was a debate... How do you discipline your child in our country? People have different ways of disciplining their child, and it divided a lot of people. But again, for the NFL, this was another mark against them, and it was bad news. Greg Hardy, there were other players that were uh, involved in domestic violence, but really the two big cases, Ray Rice and Adrian Peterson, and it, it's been bad news for the NFL, Griggs. Yep, and they, unlike the NBA, where they handled the Sterling thing correctly and yes, quickly. and swiftly. And swiftly, and this was the opposite. And yes. it was covering up video. Oh, well, we didn't see that, we didn't see that, we didn't see that, and all of a sudden here it is, and blah, 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 blah. But just like your your company, everything's on the record. Here it is, here again. You know, pictures, video, everything is taped, filmed, especially around celebrities and stars, even more so. Now, I mean, he didn't know there was a video in the elevator. He didn't think about it, but still. It's Just like, like Donald Sterling didn't know that his girlfriend <laughs> yeah, was recording right. this conversation. I tell Crazy. everyone, and I did tons of interviews after the Donald Sterling incident and after the NFL, live a life of transparency. I don't care if it's in an elevator. I don't care if it's on Facebook or social media, if it's on email, if it's on text. If you wouldn't want people to see you doing it or say <laughs> you, see you saying it or hear you saying it, then don't do it. Because there's a good chance at some point that information could become exposed. And, you know, with Ray Rice, when you have, and Adrian Peterson, when you have sponsors threatening, like Bud and uh, Radisson dropped their sponsorship from the Minnesota Vikings, when you have sponsors threatening to walk away from your team or your league, that's when people start paying attention. Now, this story is far from over because... Uh, Ray Rice has been reinstated, but will a team pick him up? Probably not this year. I mean, it can't happen now. But for next year, will anyone take on Ray Rice, a guy who is in the second half of his career? He's probably not an elite running back anymore. Will they take on the circus that comes with Ray Rice, much like the Philadelphia Eagles did a few years ago when they signed Michael Vick after he had served time in prison with the dog fighting ring? With Adrian Peterson, it's even more complicated because he's been suspended. And now the NFL Players Association has filed a suit against the NFL basically saying that arbitrator Harold Henderson's decision to suspend Adrian Peterson for the remainder of this season was biased. Then comes audio, another audio <laughs> recording. Yep. That was obtained by ABC News of the November 12th phone call between Troy Vincent, who works for the NFL, 
and Adrian Peterson, in which the NFL executive tells the Minnesota Vikings running back that he would be reinstated after a two-game suspension. Well, Peterson was suspended for six games. Now the NFL comes back and says, now you're suspended for the rest of the season. The problem most people have with the NFL, Griggs, is that it seems like they make this up as they go along. They've come out with a new disciplinary policy, a new domestic violence policy. They say that they've met with police chiefs and you know people who deal with these issues on a regular basis, and now they've got it right. But the problem is they've made decisions on Rice and Peterson that were put in place before this new policy came into effect. So the collective bargaining agreement is in violation, according to the NFL Players Association, and they're saying, you have not disciplined our players by the rules that we collectively bargain. So, look, I think most people would agree what Ray Rice did, what Adrian Peterson did, terrible, inexcusable, horrible. But... If you look at the letter of the law, which is the collective bargaining agreement between the players and the owners, you could probably make a good case that the players, you know, that's why Ray Rice got reinstated. And it's why Peterson is saying, look, not only do I want to be reinstated ASAP, but I want back pay. The money that you took from me that allowed me, like, I should have been back on the field after six games because that was the policy in place. And by the way, I have a recording with Troy Vincent he told me I'd be back on the field after two games. So Adrian Peterson has Rusty Harden as his lawyer. Rusty Harden represented Roger Clemens hmm. and is a hard-nosed lawyer. I'd be surprised if Rusty Harden comes out on the losing side on this one. Again, not condoning what Adrian Peterson has done. I've said it many times throughout the year. I have a daughter. I certainly would not discipline her in the manner that he did. No. But by the letter of the law with the collective bargaining agreement, this story's not going away anytime soon. And in the meantime, the big picture here, Griggs, the wedge between the NFL players and the owners is getting wider and deeper, and the wounds are getting deeper, and the relationship between Roger Goodell, the commissioner, and the players and the players' union has never been worse. Yeah. So it's a bad place for the NFL right now. People always go, hey, you know, is this a, a really – can we finally see – that the NFL is vulnerable. Yeah. I think they're, they've been more vulnerable than they've ever been the past few months during all of this. But the problem is the owners who, you know, frankly, a lot of them are good old boys. All they care about is the bottom line. Yeah. And the fact that this hasn't cost them any money, they haven't lost any sponsors, and that Roger Goodell, much like Bud Selig, is the goose that lays the golden egg and continues to turn out record profits and record media deals that's what the owners care about the most. And the integrity of the game has been challenged. And unless any sponsors drop the NFL, I don't think we're going to see any changes. It's money. It all comes down to money. It does. Well, I that's mean, why we do the show. There it is. I mean, that's it. It's it's It all comes down to the money. And I think the NFL, again, instead of being proactive, they're reactive. They're waiting for stuff to happen. Then they go figure it out or try to figure it out. And then you get these train wrecks. I mean, more than half the season this year, NFL coverage on TV and everywhere else has been all about these two stories. I mean, that's been half of what people are watching the NFL for. Well, and exactly what the NFL doesn't want people focused on. Right. They want people focused on Peyton Manning broke the all-time touchdown sure. record, and you know Tom Brady's having an MVP-type season, and you know the storyline's on the field. They don't want this off-the-field stuff, but what they may not realize is the off-the-field stuff 
really overshadows. And and the thing is, is that when you see this video with Ray Rice and you see the pictures of Adrian Peterson's child, it really transcends sports. It becomes more of a societal conversation. This isn't a sports conversation anymore. People are talking about domestic violence. They're talking about how to discipline their kids. This isn't about the NFL anymore, but the NFL is kind of caught in the crossfire here. Now, the other thing I'll say about this, I'm a PR guy. I'm the founder and CEO of the Sports PR Summit. We bring together the top minds in sports PR to New York every year. Leagues, teams, brands. I was really shocked at how the NFL handled all of this crisis. I would have thought with the resources that they have that they would have handled this much like the NBA did. With Adam Silver and with the Donald Sterling mess, there would have been swift, decisive action, but that was not the case at all. And Roger Goodell, and I've been on the record saying this, it's on sportsbusinessradio.com. I've been interviewed by a bunch of different media outlets about how the NFL handled this. I would not have put Roger Goodell up at a press conference. I mean, first of all, it turned into a comedy of errors where, (laughs) you know, the guy from the Howard Stern show, don't take me to the elevator, and he interrupts the press conference and it becomes just a circus. Secondly, Roger Goodell is not someone who is strong thinking on his feet, like a David Stern or, you know, a President Obama. When you put someone at a press conference, you're basically firing darts at them and you're leaving them vulnerable. They don't know what's coming. And Roger Goodell, I thought, in the press conference went from bad to worse and uh, didn't look like he knew what he was doing, didn't look like... You know, his league knew what they were doing. Oh, we have to have committees and we're going to have talks. And we're going to. He looked like he was out of touch with how grave this problem was for his league. Now, they've recently had a press conference. They've, you know, added some female senior executives to their staff. The proof will be in the pudding. When we see domestic violence in the future, how will it be handled? If it's handled swiftly and decisively, then we can say, you know what? The NFL learned their lesson. They learned from Adrian Peterson. They learned from Ray Rice. They got this right. They have the right people making these decisions now. Even though you could still argue Roger Goodell is still the judge and jury on this. There's other people that will decide things before it gets to Roger Goodell, but the final decision still lands with Roger Goodell, and a lot of people have a problem with that. Why don't you hire an independent third-party arbitrator for disciplinary decisions? And then it takes Roger Goodell out of that position of being the bad guy, too, but he still wants himself in that position. I disagree with that. So there's still lots to come from these stories. There'll be big stories in 2015, what happens to Ray Rice, what happens with Adrian Peterson? What happens the next time we have a high-profile domestic violence case in the NFL? Uh, will we see sponsors drop from the NFL? That will be interesting to watch. But that is our top story of the year 2014. I think it was an overwhelmingly top choice, Griggs. We heard from lots of different people that, you know, again, not just the biggest story this year, but maybe one of the bigger stories of the last five years. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's, like you're saying, I mean, it's... It's more what's going to happen the next time something happens because it's the NFL. Somebody's going to beat their wife or something. It's going to happen because it's the NFL. I mean, it's a violent sport. That's what they live with. So it'll be how is this handled the next time? Did they learn the lesson from this fiasco this year in 2014? And how do they move forward? So it'll be interesting to see, definitely. Well, and they've talked about education and you know cultural change. This isn't like you just come in and you spend an hour and go, okay, players, we're mm-hmm. going to show you what happens when there's domestic violence in your life, and here's the consequences, and da-da-da-da-da. This has to be 
reinforcement on a regular basis. This has to be, I think, you take the players to domestic violence shelters, you make them volunteer, you show them the impact of domestic violence so it is very clear to them. And again, you know, you've got aggressive men, you've got gladiators, you've got guys who are, you know, beating each other up on the field all the time. To turn that switch off is hard, but there's got to be a way that you do it or the future of the NFL isn't going to be in jeopardy, but it's not going to be held on the pedestal that it's been held on. All right, we will come back and wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio, our last of 2014. Happy holidays. We'll be right back. This is Sophia Berger. Happy New Year. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Ryan Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. We are back to wrap up another tremendous year, our 10th year on the air. Tell you, two of the conversations I enjoyed the most this year. Go back to January. His second to last interview, NBA Commissioner David Stern sat down with us. Fantastic conversation. I'll miss our chats. Another fantastic conversation. Baron Davis at our recent Sports Business Radio Roadshow at UCLA. By the way, we're going to be doing more of those in 2015. If you're interested in having us bring one of our conversations from Sports Business Radio to your sports business students, hit me up on Twitter at SB Radio or send me an email at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're already mapping those out for 2015. Griggs. Stories to watch in 2015. We did this last year, and let's do it again this year. My stories to watch, and I've kind of mentioned them throughout our show. Alex Rodriguez, very interesting to see how he integrates back with the Yankees. Will he, in fact, even make it to that point? Will the Yankees find a way to buy him out? That's going to be drama in New York. Florida State, Jameis Winston. I don't think we've heard the last of... Some of the things that have taken place on that campus. Uh, There's even discussions that police in Tallahassee covered up some crimes. I'm going to be watching that. Will Florida State find some penalties? Will there be penalties that supersede what the NCAA would hand out? That's a story for me to watch. And then finally, we just talked about this. The NFL domestic violence issues aren't going away anytime soon. How will things play out with Ray Rice? Will he find a team? 
next season. And then Adrian Peterson. Will he be reinstated at some point? Will he find any takers who put him on an NFL roster? How will that play out legally? There's a lawsuit with the NFL Players Association against the NFL in the Adrian Peterson case. Those are stories I'll be watching in 2015. How about you? My uh, number one is Kobe Bryant, just to see what Mm. he does in his future, if this is his last year in the NBA, if he continues to play. Is he going to be with the Lakers throughout? Is he going to go somewhere else? So I'm curious. I've just been really into his story this year and seeing how he's coming back from the injury and you know how, how L.A. is playing terrible and they're not a team to, to even worry about in the Western Conference. So I'm curious to see where he goes in the future in the next uh, seasons and beyond. And then my second one would be into the golf world, which we didn't talk about at all this, this time, uh, Rory and Tiger. You got Rory, who's on fire and had a great year last year. Yeah, Tiger's still floating at 60th place in every tournament. And uh, I'm interested to see if Rory keeps building, keeps going, and if Tiger can ever come back and, and compete. Well, for Tiger, golf needs Tiger to come back and yeah. be in the mix. Yeah. The TV ratings, even with Rory, are, are down from the pinnacle years of Tiger. Even with Phil, they're down from the pinnacle years of Tiger. Yep. Golf, it's, if it's going to be embraced like it once was, they need Tiger to come back and be in the mix. I think Rory's a fantastic player. He's got the big endorsement deal with Nike. He won two majors this year. He looks like uh, a very promising young golfer, but Tiger needs to come back. And like you said, he's finishing dead last in tournaments. He's just not even close. And he has another swing coach that he hired. I mean, this guy's going through swing coaches like most people change their underwear. <laughs> and it's just, it's it's crazy. So you, know, you have to wonder at some point, are things going to stabilize for him? Is he going to get healthy? Uh, and is he going to be able to even be competitive yeah. in tournaments, much less win tournaments? So uh, if you're a golf fan, you're rooting for Rory and Tiger to have success and probably Phil Mickelson too. But uh you know, I'm excited to watch these college football playoff games mm-hmm. after the first of the year. I think that's going to be an exciting way to start the year. I, too, am interested to see what happens with Kobe Bryant. And, you know, do the Lakers turn the page and say, hey, we found a taker for Kobe? Uh, I'll tell you an interesting team. Keep this in mind. I, You know, Mark Cuban has long been a Laker hater. <laughs> but if the Mavericks yeah. are in the mix come the end of the season— and it's February trade deadline, and you can pick up Kobe Bryant for a championship push, and you know you've got Dirk Nowitzki on your team who is also getting long in the tooth, and Kobe has said he wants to have another chance at a championship. Could he blend into that situation and share the ball and be a good teammate? Or would Mark Cuban look at that and go, you know what? There's just no way that I would ever acquire Kobe Bryant. He would mess with our chemistry. He'd be a ball hog. He'd have to. And plus, I hate the Lakers, so I won't take Kobe. (laughs) If there's any owner in the NBA, though, that would take a look at acquiring Kobe to win another ring, it's Mark Cuban. So uh, I think that could be interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, What would Laker fans do if Kobe's (laughs) traded? But, you know, look, uh, Shaq got traded. Yep. There have been, you know, Michael Jordan didn't finish his career in, in Chicago. He was with the Wizards. You never say never. Right. Um, and that will be definitely an interesting story to watch. We appreciate you listening to Sports Business Radio all year long. Again, you can find us online at sportsbusinessradio.com. You can find us on Twitter at SB Radio. 
A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Just go to iTunes and type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 100 business news podcasts. You can also find our show via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps. We want to thank our friends at Pistano for powering Sports Business Radio. Follow them online at Pistano.com or on Twitter at Pistano. We look forward to a fantastic 2015. Thank you again for listening. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Be safe, and we'll talk to you in 2015. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great holiday season, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Who lives in Tennessee, and he was heading for Pennsylvania and some homemade pumpkin pie.